whether it's an investor, a business partner, your employee, you have to communicate differently with each of them. Storytelling is very, very important. If you want people to buy into to who you are, then you have to have a really great story behind it. You can take it a step further and humanize what you're offering. That pushes decision makers to really be convinced and you will be able to open up doors for yourself. Welcome to another episode of Speak Like a CEO, the leading podcast on CEO communications. My guest today is Frida Kotunda Olson, and she's the founder of Leap. Hi, Frida. Hi, Oliver. So thanks for coming. You and I know each other and have known each other for some time. We went to the same university and uh, what you've been doing with Leap is super exciting. So I'm glad you're here and talk to me about this. Thank you for having me here today. So what does Leap do? Yes. So Leap is a learning and capacity building platform for African healthcare workers. Our platform is designed to provide high quality, affordable and flexible learning experiences to healthcare professionals, facilities and governments across Africa. So I think you're, you're, you're trying to build the go-to platform for healthcare education, if, if I may summarize it that way. Is that fair? Yes, that is completely fair. And, and what's the reason for that? What, what motivates you to embark on this yeah, very big ambition, very big vision? Yeah, so when we were doing our initial market research, we found that there was 1.3 healthcare workers for every 1,000 people across the continent. And the African population is increasing exponentially. So it's clear that there aren't enough healthcare workers to support that growing population. And so it's an industry that's going to need a lot of support. And if we can provide that capacity through courses on our platform to working professionals and those looking to transition into the industry, we can be kind of a small piece to the puzzle to kind of strengthen the healthcare systems across countries there. Yeah, that, that would be fantastic. And what, what's your personal reason for doing it? Yeah, I was born in Kinshasa, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And when I was a baby, I had malaria. And it was during the time there was a military uprising in the 1990s in Kinshasa. And luckily, my mom is a U.S. citizen. So when the U.S. were evacuating their citizens out of the country, we were able to go to the United States. And as soon as we landed, I went to the nearest hospital because I needed a blood transfusion. And uh, it was at Boston Children's Hospital, which will always be near and dear to my heart because full circle, I ended up working there, uh, my first job out of undergraduate in their department, supporting international patients to get care there because they could not receive um, the same type of care in their home country. And now you help bring and help upskill healthcare workers in, in Africa, so full circle indeed. Yes. And your current focus in Africa, is that temporary? Do, do you imagine you could go and provide the same ideas and services in other parts of the world? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you ask that because we have been approached by, you know, numerous kind of big decision makers in Latin America and the Middle East about adopting our business model in these in these markets. And, you know, it was always on our roadmap, our long-term roadmap to adopt this into an emerging market um, after Africa. 
And we kind of now kind of see that there is that demand coming through. But our focus right now is Africa. And once we scale there to our liking and liking of our investors, then, you know, we will open it up to go into new international markets. Yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. And I know your team is remote, um, active on different continents. Uh, I could imagine that it's, it's quite challenging to ensure that you have a, a sort of common way of communicating. And uh, I'm just wondering if intercultural communication plays a big role, I mean, concerning the team, but also concerning uh, the different stakeholders you bring together from healthcare professionals in Africa to uh, a hospital, maybe in America, or learning institution in Europe. So how, how, how important is intercultural communication for you? It is very, very important. And our team, we sit in all corners of the globe from Europe, the US, Latin America, And, you know, all of us have different lived experiences that play a role in how we communicate to, you know, to other individuals. And so we make it a point, my co-founder Marie and I, to understand who we're talking to the best way that we can and consciously work through kind of maybe biases that we have and approach the individual in the best way. And of course, you know, we always say we're open for feedback. Um, it's a very kind of open door policy that we have. And the same, how we work through that with our team, we do the same with business partners as well. It's very important to know your audience. Yeah. And at the beginning, you know, we're fir first time co-founders. So we were just kind of using the same formula across the board, but we quickly realized that Each audience, whether it's an investor, a business partner, your employee, you have to communicate differently with each of them. Um, so intercultural communication is very, very important to us, and it's something that we're continuously improving upon. I could imagine that there have been a lot of learnings in the first 18 months or so of the business. How do you make sure that these learnings are institutionalized and that new joiners, for instance, don't have to start from scratch? Um, I, I could imagine that you know, people are aware that they're speaking to people from different com uh, countries and different cultures, but not necessarily what that means and what they would ideally adapt to, you know, to, to speak in the, in the right way, in the right manner to them. So how, how can you, is it even possible to institutionalize this? Yes, for sure. I really think it's, you know, at that onboarding process, that first step where you meet someone. Um, and so before you kind of introduce them to your ways of working, You have to map that out yourself. And that's one of the things Maria and I did at the beginning of Leap. She really spearheaded our onboarding process, which is fantastic. Kudos to her. And we've gotten feedback from the people that we have onboarded so far that they felt it was very valuable to them and that they learned more about Leap, our mission, vision, and values, and um who we are individually in the company and what uh, each department um, in the company has in terms of their own kind of vision. Yeah. And so that is always being improved upon our onboarding process, but I definitely think it can be institutionalized. You just have to start it from the beginning and not later on down the road. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you learn in terms of intercultural communication with regard to, let's say, the, um, the healthcare professionals you help upskill on the ground and these uh, potentially very highbrow learning institutions and top hospitals in other parts of the world? Yes. So when we're dealing with 
these institutions, like let's say, for example, the, the healthcare institutions on the ground, um, speaking, yeah, speaking their their language. And so because I my background is in healthcare and, and public health, um, so I, I go into there with like key buzzwords, just kind of like we use in the startup community, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, I'm going to go in there talking about health human resource capacity and prevalence rates and incidence rates, and they they love it. Um, and then you connect that to what they're actually experiencing, um, let's say, for example, in Kenya. Um, so for what I've learned is when I'm speaking to um, a hospital in Africa, they want to, they're very community oriented, right? So they want to f- get the sense that you're able to understand them in a way because uh, being African myself, um, I often feel mis, you know, represented, right? And people come in with their kind of own perceptions of what's going on, um, and not really taking the time to know really what the reality is of being an African and then being an African in Africa. So it, you really have to put in the time and work to, you know, talk their medical lingo, but at the same time connect it to their reality where they are. So it creates trust and, and openness. And then that's when the dialogue starts to begin. I guess it's that ideal combination of competence and warmth that often um, helps to persuade and makes people appear charismatic as well. So I, th- I think I think that's that's a very interesting insight there. You, you, have, big, you have a big vision. So w- what's the vision for LEAP? Yes. So our vision is, you know, within the the next five years, so let's say by 2027, is to be that go-to platform for healthcare, specifically healthcare education, Um, in the way that people think of Google for for search engines, um, Apple just for a cell phone. (laughs) Um, You know, we want to brand ourselves as that company that really focuses on creating lasting health change. Um, and I'm going to go there and, and it's leap. And that's where I'm going to seek out that information. Yeah, that, that, that's a that's a fantastic vision. And it's definitely something needed, right? Because the, the, the global population is growing, there's a need for more uh, and better healthcare. And there's also, um, I guess, the the steep increase in knowledge about um, health and lifespan. And and that needs to be communicated from the research side and and, and hospitals to people on the ground who need it. Yes, yes, very much so. And we really take it a step further to contextualize the content. So we're not only just the place you go to for health, but the place you go to for health that where you can say, actually, yeah, I'm experiencing this in my in my local health clinic, because one of our USPs is localization and contextualization, really revamping the content that we're getting from our university partners to reflect what is happening on the ground. And, and I guess it could almost be brought to market instantaneously. Let's say there is an outbreak or there's a, a medical need in some part of the world. You could connect that need with maybe the leading researchers in the world, wherever the need is and wherever the researchers are, and, and almost do that instantaneous by, you know, digital means. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, these are one of, these are the many conversations we're having with local partners in Africa is connecting them to research institutions, you know, that have that 
maybe deeper knowledge on a specific um, health area that they need more knowledge on. Um, and so we're being asked, you know, can you facilitate these connections? Yeah, oh, that's amazing. To realize your vision, I presume you, you will need money. And I believe you're fundraising right now. Yes, we are fundraising our seed round. And um, that's been such a journey. As a, as a first-time founder, you know, going into this, I said, oh, you know, it's a sprint. But no, <laughs> quickly realized by many, it's a marathon. And you know what? I'm happy it's a marathon because if you rush into something, you can rush into the wrong marriage because, um, you know, having your company and getting investment through an investor, it is a marriage contract. Right. And um, so you want to make sure that you're working with the people who are who share the same values um, as you. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. It's not a one-way street, I need money, please, uh, but it's a two-way street, right? It's, uh, well, do our values match? Do we want the same kind of impact? What are the, the red flags you're watching out for when it comes to investors? Yes, when it comes to investors, if they are talking money, money, money all the time, knowing that we are a social impact company, that's definitely a red flag. And we understand money is important and we want to be profitable. Um, but we want to be profitable, profitable in a way that we are, that we are impacting, um, society, uh, in a positive way. So if our investor is kind of, if an investor is dismissing, the importance of mm -hmm. creating true impact, which is at the end of the day, improving health outcomes in communities, then they're not the right investor for us. Because that's what motivates Leap to keep going, right. the right. two of us. And that's a long-term mission, not a short-term gain necessarily. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, how is the fundraising going at, at the moment? Yeah, so over since we've found or incorporated officially last year, we have um, had grants um, through the European Union um, and UNICEF Ghana. Um, and now we have opened it up for venture capital funding and angel investment as well. Uh, so in the next couple of days, actually, um, I hope to receive positive news in my inbox. If not, then it's for good reason. Um, it's not a failure, right? You just kind of keep moving on and the, yeah. the right person will come at the right time or persons. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how did you get UNICEF and the EU involved? Was it a lot of paperwork or were you able to persuade them <clears throat> with, with your story and, and the impact you want to create? Yeah, so <laughs> I laugh every time I, I have to think about this. So when we got the EU involved, we failed the first time. Our application just wasn't interesting enough. Um, and they gave us really great feedback. We mm -hmm. really needed that. And we went back to the drawing board and created what is what Leap is now. Because the first time we went to them, we had this consulting service that we wanted to start, me doing healthcare consulting and Maria business consulting in Africa. Um, but that's just a regular business, right? It's not innovative. And when we spoke about it, you didn't hear the passion coming from our voices. And people saw people saw that. So we reinvented it to make it what it is today. And our demeanor completely changed because we really 
created something that both of us really connected to in different ways. And once we started talking about it and went back to the EU, uh, they felt that instantaneously. And that positive feedback gives us even more confidence. And when we were introduced to UNICEF Ghana, um, the managing director at um, who was doing the selection for the for the startup lab there also kind of felt um, our passion and really enjoyed speaking with Marie and I as mm-hmm. as founders. You know, we were pre-seed at this stage. So it was really that human connection that helped us get these supporters. And then it started snowballing from there. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And now that you have traction and you have the initial supporters, I mean, it's always a great stamp of approval to have UNICEF and the EU on your on your website to say, okay, we, we believe in this. What, what's your pitch to investors? Yes. So our our pitch to investors is that we re-emphasize to them that they are investing in the team because that was a lot of the feedback that they got from us. Your idea is great. Um, we invest in teams here. So we, we really say we have a strong team behind us. You know, Frida is a healthcare expert. Maria is a business expert. And we have Saba, who's ex-Coursera and is our growth officer. Um, and then an amazing team behind us. And so we really emphasize that, uh, as well as I think it's really important to highlight the fact that we're, you know, three women doing something really ambitious. And uh, we deserve, frankly, to be highlighted um, and supported to, to execute such. Yeah, that, that is amazing. And I wonder whether you position yourself as a tech business or a health business or healthcare business or as a platform business. So what's, what's the positioning of the business? Yes. So we position ourselves as a platform and where students can come and learn. Um, so right now we are using a white label solution mm-hmm. to offer our courses. And this has been helping us tremendously, you know, no code, um, myself and Maria, We aren't tech nerds, um, but we're learning on the job. And the no-code white label solutions has really helped us get to market very quick. And investors love that because for an education company, it takes years to launch a proper LMS um, and lots of money. But if you can start selling courses in, let's say, within six months, um, then that's great for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, no, that's very interesting. I, I like the idea of using white label solutions and no code options to get the business off the ground and, you know, complicate things later if, if necessary. Platform businesses are some of the most valuable companies in the world. And I guess in the beginning, it's the cold start problem, right? So you have to either have lots of lots of um, uh, demand, uh, or you have a, a big offer that you can then you know, go out and, and, and pitch to those who, who maybe need that. Um, wh- where do you start with the demand side or the supply side? So do you start in Africa getting people interested or do you go to the big hospitals and tell them, okay, we, we need your courses on this platform? Yeah. So when we first started, it was the supply. And because we needed to convince our future learners that we have something of value for them. Um, and then, but now we do it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Now that we have, I, our goal was to at least get two educational partners on there. And then we can, you know, then we have something of value, start marketing to our learners, um, and then go from there. 
And how, how important is storytelling in your pitching? You, you already shared your personal story, and there are probably many more you could share about um, the people involved, uh, the people you help. Is that something that, that features prominently? Yes, storytelling is very, very important. And as I think I, I feel like I always re go back to what, you know, the purpose, like why we're doing this. And if you want people to buy into to who you are, then you have to have a really great story behind it. And if you can take it a step further and humanize what you're offering, then that even is even more of a that pushes decision makers, right, to really be convinced that yeah. you are the right person to be executing what you're saying. Is it what story works particularly well? Is it your story? Is the company story the the story about people you are helping? Which of those resonates most? Yeah, so it's a combination of of all. We Maria and I we incorporate our both of our stories in our pitches um, because it just adds a bit more impact to to what we're saying. And then we also incorporate stories from our actual learners in there as well. So people can see that, you know, this is actually, this is working um, and people are buying into what you're offering. And if you're able to weave in this and in, in the, pro weave all of this in the proper way, then um, you're, you're going to convince yeah. someone. I think that's great. This weaving in is so important because it 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 is all connected. The the challenge or the art is often to weave it all together so it becomes one overarching story with lots of substories and subplots. Who's the hero in that story? The hero is always the learner at the end of the day. Um we wake up and do all of this for them um because at, we believe so much that everybody deserves the, the world in a way. Um, and so, yeah. I'm glad you say that because <laughs> still a lot of founders who implicitly or explicitly think of themselves as the heroes in the story, which which is kind of easy to fall into that trap. And I think a lot of, you know, not just founders, but we all do this from time to time. Big companies do this in advertising. It doesn't matter. I think there's, a, there's an important insight here that if you use storytelling and you should, uh, it's it's never you who is the hero in the story. You may be the guide, but you're not the hero. Correct. Who's I, the villain in your story? <laughs> I don't know if I want to say that. <laughs> Disease or <laughs> illness? Uh, <laughs> the I would say the villain is in a way we're in the education business, but it's also the education business because yeah. it just hasn't advanced in the way that it should be. Um, that it should have uh, in the sense where traditional education is definitely lacking some new ways of of learning experiences for many across the globe. This is why ed tech is rising and people are buying into what ed tech companies oh, are yeah. offering yeah. because traditional education is lacking that. So I, I guess they're by and large protecting a local partial monopoly in, in, a, in a digital global world. Yes, Yes. And that, you know, not not all of them. I think a lot of them have, have made good content available and, and good education available, but some still seem to cling on that because there's a lot of money. They earn a lot of money with this, right? They do. They do. Yeah. 
So I wanted to ask you, last year you won a Social Hero Award. So congrats, by the way, that, that's amazing and well-deserved. I just wonder whether you think this is helpful for you in the pursuit of your goals and the fundraising in particular, or is it something you think, well, I'd rather have some money to build the business and reach our vision and make a big impact than having awards? Um, my th thesis is all exposure is good exposure. And um, for us and for me in particularly, Not everything is is around money. That award has really allowed me to connect with some really great people across various industries who have then connected me to to others. Uh, and having that network is very, very important, especially in this day and age, because you you just never know who um, who is the right person that, that could help you um, in any way. And it doesn't need You don't need to extract something from someone, even just sitting down with them, right, and talking about about business or professional uh, professionalism mm -hmm. in a way. You get to learn, and it's a network that I've been exposed to that I didn't have exposure to before, so I'm very grateful for what that yeah. award has brought. Awesome. So you think it's actually a good thing to win awards and make use of that because they open up the network and, and the relationships that, you know, you maybe not have access to before. Yes. And gives you additional credibility. Credibility. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Indeed. And social proof in a way, which yes. is so important. Um, before we wrap it up and, and thank you again, Frida, for coming in. And this is, this is really exciting because it's so important. And I wonder what your best advice would be to other founders who may be thinking about setting up an impact business. Maybe Maybe other women maybe who want to uh, help other parts of the world and not just build another app, but doing something really meaningful. What we, what would be your best communications advice? My best communications advice is advice that my co-founder Maria gave me. And that was, Frida, no one knows your business like you do. So when you walk into a room, you know what you're talking about. You just find that confidence deep inside you and tell your tell your story. Um, and when you exude that confidence and you ex and people see that you mean what you're saying, then you can convince someone right for a second meeting. So yeah. I would say we all we do all suffer from imposter syndrome. I I have it from time to time. Um, but at the end of the day, I know what I'm building like nobody else. And no one can take that away from me. So you walk into that room, believe it, and uh, you can be you can be convincing, and you will be able to open up doors for yourself. I, I love that, and this is so much more powerful than the usual "fake it till you make it" advice, which I think is terrible advice. Yes, I I completely agree because we all can smell through the BS. Indeed. And, and certainly can people who who run things, right? So exactly. it makes way more, I think it's so powerful what you just said to look in, you know, your inner strength and remind yourself that you know this business and you have this vision internalized more than anyone else and communicate from that position of inner strength, even though there are still things you have to figure out. Yes, absolutely. That's amazing. Frida, thank you so much for coming in to the studio. It's great to do this in person. Great to see you again. Uh, it's been a while and uh, I'm very excited about Leap and uh, the great things you, that, that are certainly going to come your way in the next few years. Thank you, Oliver. Thank you for having me. And thanks for listening. See you next week.